And welcome to Crash Chords Autographs. Today, Matt is joined by the talented Michael Kill, solo nerdcore rapper and founder of the rap group Thought Criminals. Hailing from Charlotte, North Carolina, he has reached out to collaborate with many well-known dabblers in the genre, including Schaefer the Dark Lord, MC Frontalot, Adam Warrock, and Dr. Awkward, all of whom can be found featured in his latest album, The Snuggle is Real. Today, you can hear Kill discuss everything from his life on tour to how he got started in the world of nerdcore, and also the unsung process of beat production. So, without leaving behind some expected asides on gaming, here's Matt Storm and Michael Kill. Hello, Michael Kill. Hello, Matt Storm. How are you, sir? I am pretty good. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, thank you for taking the time to chat with me for my podcast. I appreciate that. Oh, yeah. I look forward to it. Oh, well, thank you. That's sweet. Um, I, I have to say it is fun to have developed a friendship through the internet with a wonderful rapper whose music I enjoy. Uh, Thank you. It's, it's, uh, been cool knowing you as well. I, I try to be really accessible to folks that like my music and stuff. I like hearing from people. Well, and, and I get, get a sense of that just from how much I've been interacting with you online since I saw you at the best rap show ever. Uh, earlier this year. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So um, I want to start with talking a little bit about The Snuggle is Real, which, first of all, is one of the best rap album names ever. <laughs> um, when I told a coworker of mine who constantly at work says The Struggle is Real what your album name was, he rolled his eyes and then laughed. So, <laughs> and has since enjoyed the record because I've shared it with him. Um, nice, nice. But, uh, but I, enjoy, I enjoy the title a lot. Um, I remember when you first released it, you had said that there was a funny story about the song you recorded with Schaefer, which is also the song you released as a preview um, that yeah. you wanted to chat about. Yeah, well, it's not really a very long story, but uh, I had originally put that beat together and stuff, and the only thing I actually had recorded whenever I sent to uh, the beat to Schaefer was actually I, I knew what the title of the song was going to be, and I had the chorus in place just with the singing parts. I didn't have the actual part I speak uh, on that. <clears throat> but I just was like, uh, obviously it's kind of like a seafaring sounding beat and the name of the song is going to be Sinking Ship. And that's all I told him. And then whenever I got his verse back, I had already written my verse. I just hadn't recorded it when I sent it to him. I never told him what it was or anything. And by coincidence, we both started our verses with the same line, which is it's been ten years. Yeah, and that's kind of it's kind of incredible that that you both started with that same line, possibly for different reasons, but it's it's just it's kind of incredible how that worked out. Yeah, it, it, the way he wrote fit perfectly with what I already had planned for the song and stuff, and I never really gave him any direction on it other than just giving him the title. But Mark did a great job on the verses, like. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's funny because overall, I I've followed a ton of nerdcore artists and tons of people have released albums within the last year or so, and he's pretty much had a verse on every album. Like he's yeah, that's he's, true. He's had his place on a ton of records. He's so busy all the time. I don't know how he's managed to find time to do it all. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Um. I happen to really enjoy this record. I mean, I like all of your records, but this one might be my favorite because you did something where you not only did what you do best, but you also brought in artists who also are great rappers and on every track you have someone singing with you. And uh, the diversity of songs on this record is, I think, what really pulls me in about it. Yeah, I think one thing with my last couple records, uh, Corrupted Archive, isn't like a real normal record it's an album but it's kind of more just like a introduction to to me and has a bunch of songs that originally were done for different projects and stuff on it but my real albums like dust and uh the walking dead like everything had been so like one solid theme through the whole album like dust is just bleak the entire time pretty much and then the walking dead is obviously like a big narrative story um talking about a zombie apocalypse and so with this one i wanted to i wanted to do something that was like cohesive and the songs all felt like they belonged together but i I definitely wanted to do something where there was a more diverse range of things i was talking about and and more more stuff going on between the different concepts and what I really enjoy about the record also is like, and what we were talking about before about how you like to have a narrative with your audience and you very much engage them. I mean, it comes through even in the music, like um, Challenge Your Audience, which is one of my favorites on the record. The bit that you speak about how you, you know, you talk about political, you care, but you, I bug. Uh, so candid about it. I laugh every time I hear it on that track. <laughs> yeah, it was like one of the craziest things because I, I do... I do talk about uh, some political stuff. I try to make it a point to, I guess, really, it wasn't on The Walking Dead, but in a lot of my other music, I'll touch on stuff. I try not to beat things to death in the music, but I do try to insert message wherever possible. Um, People never get upset about that at all. I've never had anybody say that, like, me talking about a specific topic or anything made them mad, but that was a real thing that happened. I really lost... I'd lost 10 likes on my music page because I'm having the same tattoo on both arms. <laughs> it's a real thing. <laughs> That's crazy. What nerds will get angry about me being one? Like, I found myself getting raged watching the new Gotham TV show oh, because yeah. they changed uh, Poison Ivy. Like, there's a girl named uh, 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 Ivy, but yeah. her actual name is Pamela Isley. And like, yeah, for yeah. whatever reason, it made me angry that they made her name so obvious. And I don't even know why. Like, I was I was listening to Nelson Lugo's podcast, and they talk about it and how nerds rage out over the stupidest things. And he brought up that reference, and I went, "Wow, now I feel like an ass." Like, I got <laughs> well, mad about that, and I have no idea why. It, it's definitely a thing. I mean, and I'm guilty of it too. I mean, uh, I, I didn't go see the new Turtles movie because I I didn't like what they had done with the characters and stuff. So I mean, it's. It's definitely a thing. It's one, especially with them remaking things that people are super attached to. I guess I never really read any of the new Fifty Two stuff for the same reason. I didn't like that they were changing stuff. Yeah, I pretty much did the same thing. Also, I have a hard time keeping up with comic books because it's expensive and a lofty goal. And like, I'm working on so many other things at once. It's like, oh, and read comic books. Sorry, no time for that. 
Yeah, I still do read comics, but I I don't in the way I did when I was younger. Because when I was younger, it was definitely like, well, before I met my wife or whatever, I definitely had a comics habit that was hundreds of dollars. And then once I actually, like, was out of my own, I just didn't have the money to dump into it all the time. Now I just limit myself to just buying a couple trades. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what I've done too. Like I got into ultimate Spider-Man very late cause I bought some of the earlier trades and got sucked in. And so I'll eventually catch up to the newer stuff, but it's like, I just don't have time to buy comics every week or every other week. Yeah. I really like getting into something after it's been established for a while too, so that I can just like get a bundle of trades and that'll keep me occupied for a while. Well, it's the comic book equivalent of binge watching. I mean, that's pretty much what I did with BoJack Horseman on on Netflix. Like, I got hooked on it (laughs) and then watched every episode on my lunch break, like, over, like, three days at work. And I was, like, (laughs) caught up. And it's like, oh, now I go to the next season and who knows how long that'll take, you know. But but I like being able to do that. It's fun. I still need to finish that. I haven't haven't actually seen any episodes of Gotham yet. It's something I want to watch, but I just haven't. I very rarely have time to watch television because it's so much. I have so much going on all the time with music and stuff that it's like if I'm going to actually find any time to play video games at any point, like that's more or less like the only downtime I have. And every now and then, me and my wife watching a movie or or whatever. I'm super behind on a ton of television shows that I really like. Yeah, we're pretty much only current with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Gotham, like, because Gotham just started an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. we liked last season. Everything else, like, I've let everything fall to the wayside because I'm the same way. It's like, if I have some downtime and I'm not writing an article for my website or interviewing somebody or doing something else, I would rather be playing video games than maybe watching TV. Yeah, totally. And, like, a friend of mine played an evil prank on me with the most recent Steam sale. I had Skyrim on my uh, wish list because I own it for Xbox, but I wanted to play with the mod. She saw that yeah. I had it on the wish list and bought it for me. So, of course, like, you remember, I was questioning you about some mods, so I installed a ton of mods, and now I've sunk, like, another 30 hours into this version of Skyrim. And, like, there are nights where my fiancé is like, Matt, bed, come on, let's go, you know? <laughs> Yeah, and then Skyrim's a trap, you know. Like a lot of those open world games and Fallout and stuff, it's like once I get hooked on it, I, I'm screwed for at least four hours. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I've been mostly playing Hyrule Warriors because it came out the other. How is that? It's amazing. I mean, Dynasty Warriors is one of my favorite games ever. <laughs> so I love Dynasty Warriors, and it's I mean, it's just Dynasty Warriors but set in Hyrule, so it's awesome. Cool. Yeah, I've I've heard some really good things about it if you like Dynasty Warriors. Like, all the reviews have that caveat. Like, if you like Dynasty Warriors, you will love this, you know? Which I will say, at the same time, to be fair, like, my friend who's been playing it with me a lot, actually, he he ended up buying it. He had never played a Dynasty Warriors game, so... He loves it, so... Yeah, I, I still don't have a Wii U. I'm biding my time till Smash Brothers comes out for the Wii U at this point, because, like... I want one, but I'm not going to spend the money on it yet. And like, that's the game that I don't think I'll be able to ignore because I've, I've loved Smash Brothers since the first one. Yeah. Now that I have a Wii U and I have my PC that I use for gaming, I don't really, I have an Xbox, but it doesn't really get played unless my wife is playing it. She, she plays the Fallout games still a lot. Um, so she plays it, but I, I haven't actually played anything on Xbox since 
I can't even remember when. I guess whenever <laughs> Spelunky was so exclusive to it. Oh yeah, yeah. I I mostly I mostly play my Xbox. Like I played it when I played um, Bioshock Infinite because I was late to play it and I blew through it. And now I have Tomb Raider for it. My friend lent me sitting on my shelf, but I have not touched it because I dived back into Skyrim, which you know you know very well how that goes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of gaming though, and and going back to your music, um, another thing I really liked about your open, like how you interact with fans and your sense of humor because I, I like I, I love a ton of different nerdcore artists and I love some for doing serious songs and I love some for doing you know funnier songs and I like that you kind of go back and forth and the song like The Moon on Corrupted yeah. Archive like first of all who doesn't if you play Nintendo you've played DuckTales you know that song immediately but your line yeah. in the beginning about it's like sampling the fucking Beatles like for any <laughs> Nintendo fan it's like He's so right. So yeah. right. I have wanted to use that song for ages, and uh, I, every time I've sat down to actually sample it myself, I always would be, like, uncomfortable with messing with it too much just because it was, like, this is some of my favorite video game music that was ever made. Right. It's, like, so good on its own, it feels weird messing with it so that that actually is how it came about that i ended up getting vince vandal to do it because i was like well your production style is a lot different than mine but i trust you to do a good job with this and i will never let myself finish it if i start chopping <laughs> it up so that's why i ended up getting him to make that beat and he did a great job obviously <laughs> yeah well what i love also is like you forget how good most nes music is for for beats and for like remixing with i mean between you dr awkward and mega ran like i've heard so many songs in the last six months that i'm like oh my god this is sick like i i, I saw dr awkward when he was in town with empty fern a lot a few weeks ago but i had not at that point listened to his ocarina of time ep and i recently did download it and listen to it and like the beats that he mixes with the songs from that game i'm like this works so well like you'd never think that those games would work really well with, with beats, but they do. Yeah, yeah. Which, yeah, well, a lot of video game soundtracks in general, I, like, I always liked sampling, like, movie scores and stuff. It's one of the reasons the, doing the Brown Coast mixtape and Slytherin House mixtape were uh, easy, is that, like, when you're dealing with sampling stuff, like, video games tend to be, the music is constructed in a way that is, I guess similar in ways to like classical music or movie scores. Yeah. And whenever you do that, there's a more room to be able to put things like drums on top of it without it walking all over what was in the original and stuff in a lot of cases. So I think a lot of times it's actually like sampling something like one of my friends did a beat a long time ago out of some of the music from the first Kingdom Hearts game. And it was like, it's all strings. So then you put your own bass line in it, you put your own drums on it and it, it becomes just using the the score as just one more instrument in what you're playing on it without having to like worry about finding a place that doesn't have drums on it or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So it's it, it in a way it's easier to sample things that are like scores because they tend to be uh, symphonic in a way. And that's that, speaking of the mixtapes too. Like that was one of those things when talking to Tribe One for this podcast. Mm-hmm. I, I had no idea when you guys were in town for the best rap show ever that you were magic players. And I have like eight decks. And so <laughs> like, I listened to that, I listened to that mixtape, which I love. And, and then I was talking to tribe and I'm like, 
I'm so upset that I didn't know I would have brought decks and we would have thrown down. And he said, well, next time I'm in town, we'll do it. But like, I, I, I'm so excited for you guys to all come around again and, and just, I want to play some magic because I don't buy the new cards anymore, but yeah, I still yeah. have my old decks. And like, I have a goblin instant deck that is obnoxious that I love playing with and I lose half the time with it, but it's just fun. Yeah. Most of my decks are uh, legacy decks or well, not legacy, but I guess modern. Um, where it's a mix of what's in standard and a lot of the older stuff, but back to a point. So I definitely, uh, I quit buying new cards until uh, Traveling got Warrock into it. Yeah. Once he got Warrock into it, that's actually when I started playing again. Because uh, I, I have such an addictive personality <laughs> when it comes to collecting things. And whenever I was at the height of playing Magic, I mean, I was just, I was blowing half of every paycheck on magic cards. Oh, man. When I was much younger, and I <laughs> just had to, like, cut myself off. Like, okay, need to chill out with that shit. So, uh, I definitely understand not wanting to buy new cards. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what Tribe was telling me. Also, he's pretty much like he's mostly also doing the same, but he'll get texts from Adam who just got into it. And is like, did you know this is coming out? Did you see this? You know, and getting yeah, well, Warrock is has gone whole hog with it. He is <laughs> so into it. Like, I mean, we all play all the time, but he is like, he he's doing drafts constantly. He, wow. He's actually earned a bunch of uh, qualifier points from doing drafts on Magic Online and stuff. Oh, cool. He's, he is hardcore into it. He got obsessive. I mean, yeah, he's just that kind of dude. <laughs> Well, it's, and it's it's fun to see, like, to give something to a friend that they didn't really get into and watch them grow with it. But, you know, you can also watch them go down the path you once went down a long time ago. Yeah, yeah but he's managed to make it work, actually. He's, he uh, he basically, he's gotten good enough at drafting and stuff that he wins enough that he can basically pay for continuing to draft with selling the cards he wins and stuff. So he's much more capable of controlling his habit i guess well that's good yeah i had a friend mike who would buy boxes like a whole box at a convention go through it pull out the rares and pay for his his box and maybe buy another one depending on how much he made from it like yeah. and i just i could never throw down that much money but you know also i was never really a great deck builder like you give me time and i can build a great deck but like at a draft it's like um i have this many of one color. I guess I'll make this deck, you know? No, yeah, I'm not see, great at deck building. Warrock is... The, I only I only really research cards whenever I'm building. And whereas Warrock, he wants to know everything he possibly can about it front to back. So I think to, to a degree I'm pretty good at drafting, but it, at the same time it takes me too long to like really build things or make decisions about what I want to keep and what I want to get rid of because... I, I because I don't know every card backwards and forwards. I just know the cards that I want, you know. Or that, right. Like when I'm building a deck, I'll go through the Oracle and like find certain mechanics that work with what I want to do. And I usually have like an idea of the deck I'm going to build going into it. And then I study to build that deck as best I can. But I don't really I don't know the set that's in standard backwards and forwards. But Warrock does. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty funny 
Well, hopefully next time any of you guys come around to New York again, we'll we'll get a game going. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. We usually always have our decks with us in some capacity. It's usually just a matter of if we can find a quiet enough spot in the venue or if we can, you know, make time between everything we have to handle. Well, I uh, next time you guys are in Brooklyn, I ha- my apartment is a 15 minute drive away, so you know, depending on how long depending on how long you're in town, we can drive my fiance up a wall by staying up all night playing magic. <laughs> if we can manage it, I'm down. Okay, well that's that's good to know. Um, I, I wanted to next ask because I actually don't know a lot about how you first started. I got into you through the wormhole of Spotify uh, right before you came to town and played the show in New York earlier this year. I dived down the rabbit hole of Spotify and just found albums that I and that I hadn't heard and started listening. Um, yeah. But when did you actually first? doing hip-hop was hip-hop your first love for for music did you try singing before that did you play instruments well I me and my brother actually when i was really little we like wrote raps and and uh made little songs i guess they didn't have beats i mean i'm talking when i was like seven you know five six seven years old uh just writing lyrics and notebooks and stuff but we didn't have like beats or anything obviously Whenever I was in high school, I started putting out these, like, folk tapes where I was, I was like, sequencing beats and stuff uh, by glitching Windows Media Player in an old, in a copy of Windows 3.1. And then I would make loops with that because I didn't know anything about what I was really doing. But I'd make drum loops that were, like, rap beats and play acoustic guitar over it. Uh, and I just didn't think I was good enough to rap. Like, I still wrote raps, but they weren't my focus. And then when I when I turned like around 17 or 18, I guess I kind of like some of my friends who were more into like the folk kind of stuff I was trying to do were like like they, I played them some of my rap songs like nervously and they were like this stuff sounds much more honest coming from you and it got me thinking more about like what I wanted to do so I started taking rapping like more seriously or got more confidence about doing it. I mean, that was in, you know, 1998, 1999. Uh, and then I started really doing shows as a rapper in like 2002. And over the years I've worked with Sage Francis or Mac Lethal and uh, a couple of different people like that doing like indie rap stuff, I guess was more what I was known for, but I started doing stuff on Nintendo's and my beats and I started, uh, doing things with, like I actually used to play a Nintendo DS as an instrument live uh, through a guitar amp and stuff. And I was doing that the first time I played with MC Front a lot, which was like 2009, I guess, um, something like that. And at that show, we kind of got discovered by Nerdcore by proxy because uh, Z, who used to run Hipster Please, was there. And uh, he writes for Geek Geek Dad, and he used to write for Wired Magazine, Winter Wired Magazine on Geek Dad or whatever. Uh, so he he wrote about us as being this nerdcore act, and he he compared us to Optimus Rhyme and and whatever. Um, so when he did that, it was like all of a sudden all these nerdcore people knew who I was by that, and people started calling us nerdcore, and then. That's how I found Nerdcore and how most people 
started to hear about me. And then shortly after that's whenever I met Warrock and we did Broncos mixtape and I put out my first solo album and things kind of just went from there. Cool. Awesome. So there's definitely always a deep love of hip hop. Do you have a, 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 a major influence in hip hop that you'd say that you, you, you were most inspired by? Yeah, I can point more to producers in hip hop more easily than I can my influences as a rapper. Okay. Um, but it was DJ Muggs from Cypress Hill is probably like the most obvious and immediate person you can say, oh, like, Kill got part of his sound from that. I was really drawn to them because they were, it was like a really dark sound, but with great drums. And a lot of the songs were like, on their first album, it's more doing like sound collage stuff. But then like once they got to Black Sunday, I was really interested in how he was trying to write like conventional guitar based drums songs, but doing them out of samples and stuff. So like DJ Mux is a huge one. Pete Rock is another person who was very similar to how Mux produced um, the way he would filter out bass lines and stuff is definitely hugely influential on me. Uh, Dan the Automator, who's probably best known as being in Gorillaz and Deltron. Sure. Uh, even his stuff before that, like Dr. Octagon, obviously, um, and the earlier stuff he even did. He had an album called... Uh, a Better Tomorrow that was huge, huge influence on me. It had like a real melodic, jazzy kind of sound, but really heavy drums. Um, and then needed like people like his instrumental stuff, the DJ Shadow and Rizzo from Wu-Tang Clan is obviously probably really, probably obvious to most people. It's a really big influence on my production style and especially on my drums and stuff. Um, and... I mean, there's a lot of rappers I like, but lyrically, I was probably more inspired by stuff like Elliot Smith and the Beatles and Weezer. Sure. <laughs> sure. Well, and you know, I mean, I, I I'm a firm believer um, with music, at least, that you don't have to be influenced by your genre to pursue a genre. You can be influenced by other genres to pursue in your genre. I mean, you know. Yeah. Well, I, I think people should definitely like. Uh, Especially, it's a thing with nerdcore to a degree, I guess. But I think people should, you have to understand, you have to understand the foundation of what you're doing before you can, like, build the second floor, you know? Sure. You definitely need to know, like, you need to learn about the art and you need to know what you're doing before you really start experimenting with it in a huge way. But I do think, like, anybody who's, a good rap producer or a good like rock musician or anything they they're not listening to just what they make cuz if they did they would have no outside influence and they would just keep everybody everybody has to listen to different things to get different inspiration and and whatever and hip hop kind of feeds off of that cuz hip hop a lot of especially with rap production uh, when you're doing hip hop stuff it's like uh you you need to be looking at other styles because you need to be listening to like older records and you need to be looking for things you can make new again. Like if you're sampling, you're obviously not sampling other rap records or you're just like ripping other people off. But if you're doing sampling and you're doing it in an innovative way, you're going back and you're listening to other styles of music and you're finding pieces of that and you're like, all right, well, here's this weird, 
prog rock record I found from the 70s, like how can I make this funky and how can I chop this up and make it my own? A lot of it's about like taking these old styles of music and with rap, it's like taking these old styles of music and making them something new and doing something new with breathing life back into them. Cool. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and it, you know, I think that a lot of the bands that kind of just produce the same junk over and over again, eventually they just lose steam and fade out. It's knowing what you can work with that really takes you to the next level. Um, Another thing I wanted to ask you about is um, going through your Bandcamp page by accident very recently, I discovered Fundraiser, um, (laughs) which was an answer to you guys funding your tour a while back. And how did you guys come up with the idea for rapping over each other's beats? I don't remember exactly. I do remember that we we knew we wanted to do a a fundraiser EP. uh, And Jesse, Jesse is always Jesse Dangerously, for people listening who might not know who I mean when I say Jesse immediately. Yeah, right. Jesse Dangerously is... uh, He's really big into like concept albums and stuff and, and concept heavy projects. So he he was really adamant that we needed to do something that was different than just doing a, a regular mixtape over industry beats or something like that. I don't actually remember which one of us was the first one to say, Hey, why don't we try rapping over each other's our favorite beats of each other's? Um I don't really remember who said that. I know as soon as it got said, we immediately, everybody was like, oh, well, I want this beat, this beat, this beat, because we all immediately knew, like, what we would rap on of each other's, but I don't, I don't really remember who said it first. I know it was Jesse's idea to do something more than just a regular mixtape, and I think that was a great idea, because uh, I think the album holds up pretty well. I think it works as an album even now, and it's a couple years old. Well, yeah, when I came across it, and, and, you know, Bandcamp has the explanations of what the original beat was, and it was for a lot of songs that I already knew by you guys, of course, and to hear different vocals and a different style over the same beat and song was really cool. I mean, like when Tribe does uh, My Name is Demonos over What's What's Your Name, which is one of my favorites from Dust, it's like, oh, this is a whole different angle I didn't even see coming, you know, and it, it just... You know, and to hear him think about Demonos again, which he'd done with Adam Warrock was cool, too. You know, it was just it was very interesting to see what what you guys did lyrically over these beats that were already established by all of you. And I, I, I think it's a really kick ass idea. Yeah, I, I really hope that if we ever do uh, another big tour like that with all four of us or even just the four guys from No Friends, if we get Sulphur and Jesse can't do it or something. But I really hope we do a second volume. There's actually four more songs that have been recorded for it that um, were recorded by Sulphur, but we haven't released them yet, where he rapped over beats by everybody, too. But we just haven't released them yet. We've just kind of been sitting on them. Cool. Well, I mean, that that's definitely an <laughs> awesome idea, and I think that if you guys do do a tour like that, it would definitely be worth putting out, you know, especially since you guys have put out so much more stuff since then too you know there's more opportunities to do different things i mean i was yeah, in sulfur songs he recorded for it are great i kind of feel bad that nobody's heard them yet because they're like four really good songs that's a bummer yeah <laughs> well just eventually you'll put them out i'm sure you'll find a reason at some point you know um, yeah we're, we're gonna do an actual no friends album at some point and we've talked about doing it next year but it's just a matter of 
everybody's always so busy working on projects. Sure. And prop one takes like a hundred years to write a song. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's like, also, it's funny, like within the last three or four months, I've been kind of in, in rap heaven just because all you guys are releasing stuff within a certain amount of time between front a lot and you and tribe one DT. And it's like all of this great rap coming out again, which like, I, I I got really into it's funny a friend of mine got me into nerdcore through MC Front a lot I met him at PAX East at the very first one I had not been to a PAX West but I went to a PAX East I met him and I was yeah. like oh this guy's great and then I went to saw his set and I was like oh shit I need to get everything he's ever done and <laughs> and from there I went down the rabbit hole beyond that you know uh, later that year I went to see him and Schaefer play together on Schaefer's birthday and introduced myself to Schaefer he did a interview for my website before I was doing a podcast that I ended up typing out, which believe you me, doing phone interviews is so much easier for a podcast than transcribing interviews. That oh yeah, I can sucks. it's the worst. Um but I met Schaefer and then through Schaefer of course then I did through people featured on his records and so on and so forth until I discovered tons of artists. And now I'm my friend hasn't been listening to as much nerdcore. He's kind of delved back into some ma- mainstream hip hop. And yeah. like I'm buried so deep in it now because I've not only found these records, but identify with a lot of them and have befriended many of the, the artists, which has been really cool. That yeah. that just about everyone I meet who has some relation to nerdcore or any kind of nerdy music is very open, friendly, understanding, and kind, and it's been awesome. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting with nerdcore, I mean, because everybody kind of has um, similar... Everybody get, comes from, like, a similar sort of background, so it's like learning to... Whenever you go out and you meet people, it's like, it's easy to make friends because the reason they're drawn to your music in the first place is that their life experience is kind of similar to yours, so... It's easy to make friends in the scene because we're all kind of coming from the same place. So. Yeah, and you guys are so responsive to your fans, too. I mean, that's pretty much how I befriended you and Adam and, and Tribe is just meeting you guys at that show, hearing your stuff, and then reaching out online and you guys being so responsive. And it's great as a fan of the music to be able to chat with you about your new record or, you know, what magic cards you're playing or what games you're playing. You know, it's kind of a cool insight into the artistry, you know? Yeah. Which is, which is always fun. Um, yeah. The, I mean, well, the, even when we first started being called Nerdcore, it was like, I became friends with a lot of the artists really fast as they heard, like the songs we were doing and just doing shows with people. Like it was really easy to, to get to know people and start to network just because people are easy to talk to and stuff a lot of times. The next question I have is one that typically when I ask it, most artists have trouble answering, but I'm curious. Do you have a favorite, do you have a favorite song that you've ever done or just a favorite song that you prefer to perform live? Um, I, my favorite song I've ever done would be hard to, to really call. I, I, I got asked that also uh, doing a different podcast a couple of days ago. Uh, one of my favorites to do live is definitely one called Inside the Box because it sure. kind of summarizes my whole aesthetic pretty well, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I, that's definitely one of my favorites. And doing Punch-Up is one of my favorites, although like one of the reasons it's one of my favorites might actually be like, it's like always my secret weapon whenever the sound guy has been a complete asshole or something. And <laughs> I, 
beat comes in like hugely loud. <laughs> Teach them a um, lesson. So, but it's just uh, that's like one of my angriest songs, really. Um, but it also like is me sort of speaking to what I was talking about earlier with like anybody who like likes what I do or whatever is probably gonna relate to that song pretty easily with the stuff I say in it. Sure. <laughs> so, uh, but Bunch Up is definitely one of my favorites to do live, and so is Martyr for probably similar reasons. And then, uh, but Inside the Box might be one of my favorites I've done. There's there's a lot of, uh, that I, I really am still super proud of. There's songs that, uh, some of my favorite songs that I've written, there's songs that I actually don't do and aren't available at the moment. Oh, wow. <laughs> so... Uh, a lot of my favorite songs I've ever written are actually on the record that is coming out next. Because I, I started, I've been working on another album called Human Disaster for about two years, um, and it's like the longest I've ever worked on an album, really. And uh, I was going through a lot of personal stuff whenever I wrote it or whatever, so a lot of it's like really personal and it, a lot of what was a lot of what caused the new album snuggle is real to be done is i've been working on the album so much for so long that it was like i need to take a break from it and snuggle is real was kind of like my fun break I, i'm like i made a snuggle the snuggle is real in about maybe like a month a month and a half with oh, my wow. guitarist and uh whereas with human disaster which is what martyr is from uh, that that record I've been working on consistently for about two years. So. And there's some stuff for another album that I'm working on too that I kind of feel that way about. It's it's interesting because like it, that I've been sitting on some of my, what I think is my best work for a while. But like when my next album comes out, it's like that's gonna be. I don't know. I've been describing Snuggle as real as being like the party before the funeral. <laughs> it's going to be much more dark than Snuggle is. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I remember when you had announced Snuggle and previewed um, Thinking Ship. I had, I've loved Martyr since I discovered your SoundCloud, and I was like, this song is great. I love the the dry bone logo that was with it, and I'm like, I can't wait for this new record. And you'd been talking about it, and then the Snuggle reel comes out, and it's not on it. And I went, son of a bitch, I have to wait longer. You know. <laughs> Yeah, it's totally not on that album. Right. So, a, and it was a thing like it was definitely when me and the engineer were going back and forth. Um, I was like, should I put that on this record because people have heard it now, and I've been doing it when I'm when I tour for yeah. since. Uh, well, really, I guess since the first time I did it live might have been the greatest rap show ever, the one in Brooklyn. <laughs> um, but I'd been doing it all year and stuff, and I just ultimately decided no, because it fits so well with uh, this. The Snuggle was definitely a, a conscious collaboration with me and my guitarist, Andy. Right. And Human Disaster, I'm doing all the production, like nobody else is on it, and it, as far as beats go. And uh, there's a lot less guests going to be on that record. It's, it's I've got uh, Chesky is on it, who's one of my very favorite artists, um, and 
I'm privileged to have him as a friend, and he was nice enough to put a verse down for it. But as of right now, that that's really the only guest that's on the record at the moment. So, but we'll see. It might it might add one or two people, but it's I, I don't really know yet. The album I'm planning on releasing in like April, though. Okay. Next year, so. Cool. So I mean, there is an end inside. I'm not going to work on the record endlessly. It's not going to be the nerdcore detox or. <laughs> or whatever <laughs> well it's, it's it's funny like I, I, as much as i like fun and 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 entertaining music i'm an emotional music listener myself so i like to vent and i like to to identify and so like i remember telling schaefer that the sick passenger struck a chord with me because he'd been working on it so long but you could tell how personal that record was yeah, yeah. And so for me, like, I like records like that and really connected. So hearing him in Disaster is also going to be very personal and dark. I'm, I mean, I'm excited to hear it because I like, I like finding a connection to the music I listen to. Like, music that you would just enjoy is great too and has a place. But, but I really like being able to com- connect on a level with music. And like, when Sick Passenger came out, I was dealing with a shitty job and I just started a new relationship, but I was coming off of a, you know, a, a shitty backstory that's not worth getting into, but it was just, I was in, a, in, in an awkward place and hearing a record of someone struggling to find their way and having trouble really helped. And I find that a lot in music. So it's always nice to hear songs of a personal experience because they have so much weight. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's actually kind of funny because it's like, um, a lot of my music is sad and stuff, but I, I'm not actually like, I don't sit around sad all the time. I'm not like, I'm not, I don't think I'm a really depressing person to be around, but just because I've said it so much, people now, whenever they meet me, they expect me to be like this completely morose, like (laughs) depressed person. And they're surprised. I'm not like super bleak to be around all the time. Well, yeah. Also when you connect with an art, if you don't know the person, personally it's hard to know what their personality is going to be like you know like uh, listening to tribe one rap and then meeting him i mean he seems like a pretty fun person but he's got this huge bass voice and he's a big dude and you know you have no idea what kind of personality he's going to be and he's like a giant teddy bear he's such a nice great guy but you know he's got these heavy, heavy vocals and raps you know you're like oh damn you know so it's always nice to meet someone and see sometimes it's nice to get a surprise like that to not not actually be able to predict a person just by their art, you know, that there's more to them than that. Yeah, well, I think with Niles, that's especially true. Like, whenever uh, I first met Niles, I, I definitely expected him to be much more in-your-face and bombastic than he is, but he's actually, like, out of everybody in No Friends or whatever, he's, like, probably the, like, most, like, outgoing positive person out of all of us yeah <laughs> he's got... him and sulfur both have kind of like similar personalities i think that's cool whereas me and i think me and warrock tend to both be like i think people were surprised i think warrock it's actually been said jesse dangerously is the one who originally said it but he was like you ever think that uh your personality is more like warrock's music and warrock's personality is more like your music <laughs> and it's <laughs> kind of is true um it kind of is true i think people would be surprised because his music is so positive or whatever it's it's how he expresses that side of his personality where I, so much of more of what my music expresses is like the tough stuff i'm going through yeah 
Um, the next thing I wanted to ask is, so obviously you've shared on the internet that you're a married man and you have kids. Um, yeah. Has that being married and having children affected your music and your writing as well? I imagine so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think really the the side of it that affects my music more, I mean, you know, my marriage is like my the emotional life in that way or whatever, I guess like having a relationship and stuff being a dad affects like what I do. Cause it makes, it makes a lot of it harder in terms of like touring and stuff like that. It's like a lot rough. It's really rough being away from home sure. whenever I'm on the road and stuff. And that's definitely like been a topic in some of my songs. And, but also it's like, I feel like doing what I am doing and trying to juggle having like a quote normal life with doing my art in the most extreme way I can uh, also sets like a positive example for my children that they should like pursue their dreams and just because they pursue their dreams doesn't mean they can't have a normal life. And yeah. So to me, it's it's partially like important as a parent that I actually continue doing this in some degree. Right. Because I want them to feel like if you know, whatever their dreams are, that they can pursue them also, and that it doesn't have to be like, I don't know, that it doesn't ever have to be like a burden to them. That it can be something that they can make work. I guess. Yeah, it's it's something that you don't really like. I feel like I at least didn't learn in school. You know, it was very much be practical and do do what you can to make money and make money so you can pay bills and live your life. But as I've gotten older, I've realized you can pursue an art that you're interested in and still live a normal life and make something of it. But there's so many more resources now than there were even a decade ago that it's kind of awesome to see what you can do even for no or little money, you know? Yeah, and uh, I mean, it's a thing too, I think, where people shouldn't let, like you should never let time be an excuse for yourself about getting things done. Like I put out a ton of music every year and, and even whenever I, I don't, all I've really done is rap in the last two and a half years other than go to school. And I am going to go back into the workforce eventually. But, you know, even whenever I was working 40 hours a week, that's whenever I was putting out that records all the time. Like I, I was putting out, stuff with the thought criminals I was producing stuff for Eugene or Adam Warrock rather uh and doing all the and touring and and everything uh I don't think you can let yourself feel like oh I'm gonna make time to make art later because if you if you say that then you're not gonna ever do it like and you have to be working on art all the time if you want to be good at making art like it's something that has to come you have to do it you and you have to make yourself do it and like you can't let yourself just not because if you don't start right now then you're never going to do it yeah well yeah i found <laughs> and, that like a lot of people that you ask like how do i start most of them say just do it that's how you start you just do it you know yeah like that is the that is the key is like if you want to make records if you want to make songs then just sit down and do it like I've never taken real lessons on an instrument. I've, I, I've figured out most of what I know about the software and programs and stuff that I use by teaching myself. And if you want to know how to do it, you'll just do it. Like, and it, you can't let yourself be held back by, I don't have time to do this. So, I, well, if, 
if you don't have time to do it, then sleep two less hours and deal with drinking extra coffee tomorrow. You know, like, just do it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really well said. I mean, that's pretty much how Crash Chords went from being a blog for like a year and a half to now an actual website with two podcasts. And it's like, it's one of those things where, yes, I have to stay up really late to record an episode on Monday so it can be released on Thursday. But, you know, you do it to get it out. And sometimes you feel like you're throwing stuff into the ether. But but then every so often you get some feedback that re reminds you why you're doing it. And you keep working on it and keep recharging those batteries and just move forward. Yeah, exactly. And it's definitely, I mean, you know, it, I, I, I always like, half jokingly say I'd, like I've been doing this since I was a kid like I started putting out tapes when I was like 12 um, and selling them in the hallway at school or whatever but like I didn't get good until I was like 30 you know <laughs> like, <laughs> I, 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 and I'd put out a slew of music before then I'd probably written over 200 songs in my 20s <clears throat> at least if, if not more than that but like you just have to keep doing it and, and eventually you get to where you should be with it. The whole thing with, you know, 10,000 hours or whatever, that's how long it takes to master your craft or whatever. Like, I don't think you ever master your craft and you have to work at it constantly to, to get good. But if you feel strongly about something and you want to do it, like, you know, you're not going to be fulfilled unless you make yourself do it. So nothing to, nothing to it but to do it. There you go. That's a great summation of everything we've just talked about. That's that's perfect. Um, before I forget, I really want to talk about, um, so as you saw, because I like tagging people I know about with awesome stuff on Facebook, I, my <laughs> wallpaper at my job is the album artwork for The nice. Snuggle is Real, because that cartoon you mashing a cartoon heart is adorable and awesome. I want to credit the artist of it. Where, who did the artwork for the record? And um, how did you meet up and connect with them? Uh, the guy who did the artwork for the record is a dude named Thor Thorvaldson. <laughs> his, his first name is Thor, and his last name is Thorvaldson. <laughs> uh, Thor Thor. Uh, he's a really awesome guy who lives in Columbia, South Carolina, and Columbia, South Carolina is where Cecil Nick lives, who mixed the record, and he did two beats on the record and stuff. Um, so we did a lot of shows as the Thought Criminals there, and uh, one of the first shows we did there, he was at, and he actually had done uh, some posters and stuff for Megaran, and uh, I think he knew who we were because of the song we did. Uh, on the Final Fantasy record yep. that put out Black Materia. And he he mentioned to us then, he's like, hey, if you need artwork or whatever, I would love to do some stuff for you guys. And uh, I knew his artwork was awesome, so I was like, that sounds awesome. Uh, so he did some different flyers for us over the past couple of years, but uh, I knew I wanted to... I've been uh, using my friend uh, Joe Hunter. He did the Corrupted Archive art, and he did the T-shirts that I just put out the the dry bones Koopa shirt. Sure. Uh, I knew I wanted to continue the theme I'd done with having somebody draw a cartoon version of me, and I had the concept about smashing the robot heart because um, I already had the title, and it kind of tied into that. Um, but 
I was like, who do I know that can do a really good job with this? And like, he was the obvious choice. Like, I think I was literally just looking at Tumblr and one of his drawings came up. And I was like, oh, wait, Thor is obviously who should draw this cover. Nice. So uh, I I hit him up with the idea and he had it like, I think within 24 hours, he had the the cover done. Wow. That's so, great. And uh, he did a great job. Like, I love the representation he did of us. Or, or me and my heart. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it, it's, a, it's a great animation. Like I remember getting into a conversation on your, uh, on one of your Facebooks, either your, your artist Facebook or your personal one about that being a t-shirt. And even though it'd be super expensive, even like a black and white version of it, like it's just such a great, very specific image. And like, it conveys the album theme. Yeah so easily within seconds of seeing it. And I think it, it would make in the future for a great t-shirt because it's just such great crisp artwork, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I I would totally like to do that. I think, I think if I did it, I, I really like the idea and, and it's an idea that popped in my head of doing it. Like whenever people mentioned the doing the shirt idea, uh, doing it on like black shirts and like gold foil, but just like the, get the black and white drawing of it and do it in like gold foil on black shirts or something. I think would look awesome. Oh yeah. That would be pretty cool. But, <laughs> but who knows? Uh, it'll probably be, if I do more shirts, it probably won't be until right before human disaster comes out, which will probably, like I said, be around April. Cool. Awesome. Um, before we start to wrap up, I did want to ask if you're, I know you were playing some so shows recently um, when yeah. artists had come through town, but are you going to go back out on tour anytime soon? I'm hoping to before the end of the year. There was some talk of me and Mega Ran doing a tour, but if we did, it would probably be a West Coast thing. Cool. Um, but we're actually talking, we were talking to my friends Crunkwitch, who are a really good, uh, like, nerdy synth pop band, I guess would be the best way to say it, <laughs> um, that are from Maine. And we we were talking about doing a a tour where it was like Malibu Shark Attack and them. And if that's the case, then I'll be playing guitar on the road with Malibu Shark Attack. But uh, I don't really know yet. We don't have anything finalized. Me and me and Ram were talking about doing the stuff in like November, but at this point it's already October and we don't have anything finalized. So who knows? And I, I've been talking off and on with Warrock about touring again at the turn of the year or something, but I don't really know what he can do at this point because he's kind of taken some time off from touring after doing it for so much, so long. But yeah. Hopefully I will be going back out on the road sooner than later though. I really want to make it back up to Brooklyn in cool. particular, because that's one of my very favorite places to play. So. Awesome. Well, I look forward to you coming back and challenging you some, some magic games when you do. Um, yeah, we need to go get some pizza and play some magic. Like those two things have to happen. Well, that, that in Brooklyn can easily be arranged. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Um, but it's been a pleasure talking to you. I really appreciate you taking the time um, as a fan of the art and as someone who enjoys the art as a whole. Um, it's oh. It's been great to know you as a person and as an artist. So thank you for taking the time. Oh, yeah. Thank you for having me on the podcast and stuff. Definitely it, appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Um, and if you find yourself in New York for an extended period of time, we have I have a second podcast, as you know, that we review albums and Niles has claimed to do it when he's in town. But if you're in town for New York for an extended time, I'd love for you to sit down with me and my co-host and pick, bring a record, pick a record that's special to you, and we'll review it and chat on that show as well. Yeah, that sounds cool. Awesome. Um, 
anything else, anything you want to plug uh, to the listeners besides obviously the snuggle is real, which just came out. Uh, I'm, I will have, I'm working on a bunch of stuff. I can't announce yet. Uh, so I'm, I'm working on two different producing, two different nerdcore albums for other people <clears throat> that I think people will be excited when they find out are coming out, but I can't tell people yet. So, uh, I also have just started working on a rock project called the glad you're dead. And we've got about, we've got five songs written and the sixth one started. And once we finish the sixth one, we're going to be recording our first album or recording our first EP rather. And Cecil Nick's going to be recording and mixing that. So Very cool. That sounds awesome. Uh, I think if people like, like, like Weezer, Dinosaur Jr., stuff like that, it's kind of like funny, but sad rock songs. It's not, heavy it's we i guess weezer is the most obvious thing to compare it to that people wouldn't know early weezer <laughs> that's awesome well that sounds like a blast i'm excited to hear that i didn't know you had a rock project in the works that's really cool yeah well it sort of came out of like i used a live band for a really long time and then my keyboardist sort of uh couldn't do it anymore and once he wasn't in the group it was a lot harder to do some of the rap beats without piano so we started I was like, well, what's another thing we can do so that I can keep playing with this group, but have it be more cohesive and fulfilling for everybody. So it definitely became a project that kind of was born out of that, that I wanted to keep working with the same group, but that I knew a lot of my shows were going to move away from using a live band as much. So so it sort of happened. (laughs) Very cool. Well, I mean, it's good that you were able to find something positive out of it. but uh... Yeah, yeah. But but thank you, Michael. Seriously, uh, uh, it's been a pleasure to chat with you, and uh, I look forward to having you on the show again. I will let you know when this goes up. It, we, the show is biweekly, so it probably won't be till towards the end of the month. But uh, okay. as soon as the episode goes up, I'll share it with you so you can share it around. And it's it's been an absolute pleasure, man. Thank you. And I'll see you in the game world. Sounds good, man. Take care. Peace. Bye. If you enjoyed these interviews, please subscribe to this and the Crash Chords podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. You can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to post in the comment area below each post. And keep the discussion going, because remember, music is life, and life is good.